Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Park Hill Church. Um, yeah, like David said, my name's Evan, and my wife Sandy and I, we have the joy of you know, being married and also leading as out of our marriage and leading this church. And it's a privilege to be able to lead this. We're coming up on five years, you guys. Five years, this Christmas Eve will be our anniversary, and it is wild to think of all that God has done. And, and as we ramp up to that, we are finishing today our vision series, uh, which, is, which is all about who, who we are as a church, um, we, why we exist, why we exist as followers of Jesus. What is a follower of Jesus? Jesus' Jesus' word was disciple or apprentice. Uh, so here's how we think about this. I'm going to read the scripture in a moment and pray, but here's how we think about this. To be an apprentice of Jesus is to order our life around three goals, to be with Jesus, become like him, and do what he did. We believe as we do this together, then by the power of the Spirit, Jesus' proclamation will be realized. What did Jesus proclaim? That the Father's kingdom would come. And that the Father's will would be, would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We believe that is how this, this actually practically rolls out into San Diego. Through us, filled with the Spirit, doing the Jesus stuff. And so um, this is what we believe, this is what our coworkers are longing for. Um, that God's kingdom, his loving rule would actually be meted out. It would actually uh, spread across our homes, our neighborhoods, our cities. This is what our families and friends are longing. This is what you're longing for. This is what you're longing for, that the goodness and authority of Jesus would actually have more of you. This is what we long for. Uh, and, and our work and our marriage, I, I mentioned my wife and I lead out of our marriage, it's true. And, and, and your unmarriedness, your singleness, whoever you are as a fully flourishing human being, we desire that the king would actually own more of our singleness, own more of our marriedness, own more of our friendships, uh, so, that, so that where we are gets infused with the kingdom. The, the place we live gets more of the kingdom through who we are. And, and this is the kind of people, this is the kind of church that the world is aching for us to become right now. And so I just wanna say, you guys, we've all known that news cycles feed our anxiety, and then they feed on our anxiety. It's like this vicious cycle. Um, we know this, and, and yet <laughs> our society continues to reel in that vicious cycle. We're longing for hope. And, but, but, but we've always known that the news cycles and the media, it feeds on our anxiety. That's not new, that's not new news to us. But something that has been a new experience, I think, for a lot of us these past two years is this next level stress, whether it's job-related or relational or whatever else. I mean, are you with me? There's like a, a next level kind of, kind of anxiety that's coming. Um, yes, and by the way, I do think it's fair to say this. I, I think this has been especially jarring in a way for white middle-class folks in the U.S. in many ways. According to one huge study, sample size over 5,000 people from Brookings University, they did a survey. According to one study, black and brown communities reported lower stress and higher levels of hope than white communities during COVID, even though COVID hit black and brown communities harder. Here's why I'm saying this. Some say that these stats, which are borne out in time and time again in these studies, some say this is because there's a resilience in communities that have faced more collective adversity historically. However, the deeper issue, I want to say, may be that folks from majority culture and, dare I say, wealthier dominant culture in our own country have recently had to face uncertainty and confusion like never before that we've experienced, having any foundations of sand exposed in a global storm, the kind of storm it felt far away. It felt far away from some of our communities until now it's touching us. Now it's touching all of us. It's like the narratives are all touching all of us personally in a fresh way right now. And it's important to acknowledge this. It's like now everyone can point to a strained relationship or an uncertain job in a way like, oh my gosh, I never thought it would be this way when some communities are like, what are you talking about? You know. And so, so this is now the shared narrative more in a way, and so we all feel this collective longing. I have that next slide. 
We all feel this collective longing for peace and healed relationships, which is exactly why the kingdom of God is good news for everyone. You guys, the world is ripe for this thing that Jesus is bringing, the inbreaking kingdom of God. What is the inbreaking kingdom? What does that mean? We're Americans, we don't like talking about kings. We actually overthrew a king to become independent, so we don't think in terms of kingdom. Uh, so what is the kingdom of God? It means full forgiveness for everyone who calls upon the king. Healed relationships in his family forever. And ultimately, the defeat of death itself. And life forever in a remade world as the multi-ethnic family of Jesus. This is the hope we live into by being disciples. Being with Jesus, become like him, and do the Jesus stuff. We live into that hope by being his disciples. And, and when we do that, we actually become a peaceful protest to the influx of rage. We're like an alternative politic to this anxiety and hostility in our culture. And as we do that, we find peace. We look at the news about like, you know, systems of government being threatened to be dismantled in the news right now. And, and we actually have our protest to all of that anxiety rooted in a higher system that's actually eternal. And, and, and our king is a king of peace who is crucified by the state for treason. And, and he bears the government upon his shoulders. And of his government, there will be no end. And he says, peace be with you. And we know this. And we live out of this. this you guys, this settledness is what your neighbors are longing for. And, and this is why we call this our vision series. And this is why we come back to this every year. Every fall, it'll either be one Sunday or eight Sundays or three like we are today. We come back to this, this vision. It was Jesus' vision. It's that his people would be with him. That was week one. To become like him, week two. And now this final week is do what Jesus did, or the Jesus stuff, as I'll call it today. And so, where do we go to find what the Jesus stuff is? The scriptures. Where specifically is the best spot to see Jesus in action? Gospels. Gospels. We use that word in church a lot, and it's actually uh, referring to biographies. Did you know this? There's four biographies of this Jewish man named Jesus that are in the Bible, and uh, we call them gospels. Uh, because they're good, they're good news for the whole world. You're going to see why after today, I hope. If you're new to Jesus or church, I hope you see how this is, I, I hope you see the good news gravity of what we're going to unpack today. It's wild, you guys. I'm actually rediscovering it. Uh, I feel like a, ch a child kind of rediscovering this this year. So Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. So we're going to pray after we read this. Um, but it's, we're going to read, it's the moment Jesus announces that he's the Messiah and he has a job description that's really old, okay? And so he's going to read from Isaiah. So here we go. Isaiah, I mean Luke 4, where Jesus reads from Isaiah 61. Sorry, that was confusing. We're going to read from Luke 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and as the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I love en envisioning this scene. You guys, this is Jesus' like hometown. Imagine going home from, from college to your little town in Nebraska or something, and, and you step into your little backwater church, and you're like, I am nominated for president this year, whatever. And, and these people like played freeze tag with you when you were a kid. They're like, who is this 
isn't this Joseph's son? That's what they say to Jesus. This is the carpenter's kid. He's like going to take the carpenter business for Nazareth when he's old enough. And now he's saying that he's fulfilling the scriptures. Um, so so I, I want to unpack this. Can you put that slide, that last slide back up? Do you see that top portion, verse 18 and 19? That is Jesus quoting Isaiah from Jesus' Bible. Did you know Jesus had a Bible? Did you know Jesus, he read the Bible? And, and his Bible is in your Bibles. He, we call it the Old Testament. He just called it the Law and the Prophets and the Writings or the Hebrew Scriptures. And one of the most, one of the most well-known leading prophets in Jesus' Bible, our Old Testament, is, is this guy, Isaiah, who Jesus is quoting. And, and he's reading from this part. It's like the epic ending of this 64 chapter, Jesus didn't have chapters, it was all one continuous, no spaces, just characters for like many pages of scrolls, which is very hard to read now, probably not for him because it was his Bible. But he has this, 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 this book open to the end of the book, the end of the story. And it's after, it's after Yahweh talks about all of this all of this sin that Israel had committed and all the consequences of their own narcissistic self-sabotage. And, and, and Yahweh is now going to be faithful. And Yahweh is going to do something amazing. But before we get into it, let's leave that up on the screen and let's pray. Because we want God to do something amazing among us as well. Heavenly Father, you are here, present to us by your Spirit. We want to see Jesus today, not just to sit back and be in awe, although we are, but so that we can follow, so that we can be the healing presence of Jesus in the world, just like you call us to, just like you were, Lord Jesus. So may it be true in San Diego as it is in heaven. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So Jesus' Bible is open, and that's what Jesus is looking at, and it's the end of the story, and everyone he's talking to is probably familiar with it. And this picture, if a picture is worth a thousand words, and this picture is worth the kingdom of God, because here's some of the imagery that's happening in this glorious ending. Look at the lines right before this Isaiah passage. Isaiah 60 says this, although you've been forsaken and hated with no one traveling through, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. That's what you, that's what you're a Jew, you're a Jew occupied by Rome, oppressed. This is what you long for. Oh my goodness, God's going to restore this nation to glory again and he's going to bring joy back and make us a delight. Instead of the enslaved, we're going to be a delight to the nations. And then you'll know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One. You'll know God is near. You'll know who God is when you see his saving come. And then he says, I'll make peace. That last, sorry, that last line. I'll make peace your governor and well-being your ruler. Imagine being ruled by peace and flourishing and well-being. God's like, I will do this. I just got chills thinking if it's not a human, it's not a corrupt government, it's not a Republican or Democrat fighting, and it's like peace and well-being is actually governing us. My goodness, I long for this. And then, and then the, next, the next slide, the, the prophecy continues, your sun will never set again, your moon will wane no more, the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. I'm the Lord, and it's time I will do this swiftly. Leave that slide up. You guys, <laughs> I just wanna point out, this is Yahweh the Creator God promising that He will bring the kingdom of peace and joy we long for. I love the imagery, just like the sun. The sun and the moon affect everything in the world, right? There's not one drop of water that the moon does not affect in the earth, right? And, and the sun and all the photosynthesis and plants and animals, there's nothing that, that is not affected by the sun and the moon. And, and, and just like that, God's kingdom will affect everything. This is what the prophet is saying. And that last line, it'll happen swiftly. Swiftly. In other words, can't come fast enough and you can count on it. This will happen. This is how good and faithful God is. 
And, and so this is the end of Isaiah 60. Guess where Jesus picks up? Remember, they don't have chapter breaks. It's all the same story. Jesus picks up that part of the ancient Bible, and he introduces himself with the next line, slide eight. Therefore, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me for this job to proclaim good news to the poor. Messiah's job description. Jesus is claiming it for himself. He's like, you know this prophecy? You know this thing you're waiting for? Today it's done. So, so his hometown is listening to this, and they're like, this is the, this is the carpenter. It's a carpenter's kid, right? How's one guy going to accomplish all of that? Like oppress? They knew what this meant. They're very familiar with the scriptures. Ancient Jews, they learned to read by the Bible. And so, and so the poor being lifted up, the prisoners set free. This is what Jesus is claiming that he's bringing. How is a carpenter's son? How is this one man going to make all of Isaiah's prophecies come true? Isn't this Joseph's kid? And I actually think that's a reasonable question. They're not like faithless idiots in this moment. This is reasonable. How is Jesus, people ask this today, how did Jesus affect something that affects me today and one day he'll come back and affect everything? How does that work? And, and how, like they ask, how is Jesus gonna do this single-handedly? Well, here's a simple answer, he's not. Jesus is not going to do this single-handedly. He is going to lead the greatest multiplication effort the world has ever seen. You see where I'm going with this, you guys? And it all starts, the Jesus movement starts by a lake in the armpit of the Roman Empire called Galilee. And here's the story, Matthew 4, 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. So what's the purpose statement from Jesus? According to that passage, what's Jesus' purpose? Why does he call people to follow? Do you see it? Verse 19, he uses a funky metaphor it doesn't really re resonate with us today unless you're a fisherman. Yeah, he's like, uh, come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for humans. Fish for humans. And so uh, Jesus is a master teacher. There's a couple of levels happening. At one level, he's using a metaphor from their life. He's a great teacher. He knows how to relate to people <laughs> in ways they understand. He's like, you will carry on the work that I'm doing. I am drawing you into God's great healing story, and you're going to draw others. Very simple. I'm going to make you a fisher for people just like I'm catching you in my love. That's one level, but there's a deeper level, you guys. Some scholars think Jesus is pointing to the prophet Jeremiah, another prophet from Jesus' Bible, your Old Testament. Remember, the Jews knew their stuff, and so when Jesus said, fish for people, or fishermen, God's fishermen, that's like a light, bing, on the dashboard, and they would have hyperlinked to Jeremiah 16. And, and watch what Jesus does with this passage. Here's, here's Jeremiah. It says this, however the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will, it will no longer be said, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites, Israelites up out of Egypt, but it will be said, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north, out of all the countries, all the countries where he banished them, for I restore them to the land I gave their ancestors. You see, it's, 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 a, it's a little hidden, but when you read closely, you see what's happening in that passage. One day God's gonna win his family back, and it's not just racially ethnic Jews in the land of Israel, but God has a wider family from every nation, from every country. This was always the plan, you guys. It was in there from the beginning. Every ethnicity, tribe, and tongue, every language and nation will be called into God's family and saved back from their sin. So how's this gonna happen? 
Look at the next verse. But now I will send from many what? There it is. It's in the book. It's in Jesus' book. And he's using a reference from his own book. And he's lighting up all the lights on their dashboard to let them know who he is. Now I'll send for many fishermen, and they will catch them. Who's the them? Every one of God's family from all the nations, you guys. And, and after that, I'll send for hunters. They'll hunt them down on every mountain hill from the crevices of the rocks. And verse 21, therefore I will teach them. This is what the fishing looks like. Therefore, I'll teach them. This time, I'll teach them my power and might. Then they will know that my name is Yahweh. Whenever you see the Lord in all caps like that, it's God's personal name in the Hebrew. He's like, I will be personally present to this family. I won't leave them alone. So Jesus is quoting... He's, he's referencing this 600 years before Jesus, Jeremiah prophesied God would bring his family back into relationship with himself from all over the world using fishermen, using fishermen. And, and so as Jesus quotes this, he's intentionally connecting his mission to the mission of God. He's like, I share a mission and I share an identity with God, he's saying. It's brilliant what Jesus is doing here. And guess what? Not only is Jesus saying, I'm God and I'm the Messiah, but he's also saying, if you follow me, you will become a little Messiah. That's literally the same word as little Christ. You know, Christ and Messiah are synonyms. One's Hebrew, one's Greek. And that's why we call ourselves Christians. We're Messiah-ians. Little Christ. Actually, it's what it means. So Jesus is saying, not only do I share God's identity with me, but I share mine with you. The way God loves me, empowers me, and sends me out to do all my stuff, I send you out to be the loved, empowered, Jesus stuff people. You guys, it's happening right before our eyes by a little lake in Podunk, Israel. Caesar and the political powers are doing their thing in Rome. Meanwhile, the kingdom is breaking in that will be infinitely greater and, out, um, and lasting than Rome or the Ottoman Empire or Byzantines or British Commonwealth or the American Empire or any government that seeks to make the claims that messiahs make. This is what we're going to get into when we get into Revelation. The book of Revelation is partly a theopolitical tract that subverts Rome slash Babylon slash any empire that tries to take the place of God and take God's allegiance from the citizens of God's family. This is what Jesus is birthing in the armpit of the Roman Empire by a lake with fishermen. He's making them fishers of people so that they will embody God in person. <laughs> They will embody the presence of God in the world just like Jesus does. So what does this fishing for people thing look like? How do you do it? How do you fish for people? It's kind of actually a really weird term. I, part of me doesn't like it. Maybe it's because I grew up with the King James in the 80s, King James, and it's like fishers of men, and I don't know that term. It's like fishing for humans. Oh, I see. It feels a little better. I don't know why. I don't know why. I'm an evangelical kid. Uh, Matthew lays it out in the very next line. Here's what fishing for people looks like. Jesus went through Galilee. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So I want, I want you to like, I don't know, take a photographic memory shot of that or something because this is like a chorus in the song of the gospel. Matthew repeats this just like you would a chorus in a song. Uh, it's like Jesus' biographers are intentionally sending us messages. Hey, hey, this, this is the Jesus stuff. This is it. This is baseline. This is what he's all about. This is what he did. And, and this repeats in different ways. Check out the, the, the verbs, right? Uh, look at this next slide. Mark 1, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming good news of God, preaching in the synagogues, driving out demons. Luke 4, and he kept on preaching. Matthew 8, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the world and healed 
Matthew 9, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing. You guys, this is intentional messaging. This is a literary technique from ancient biographers saying this is the theme, this is the thesis. This is what Jesus was all about. The reason we see these, this stuff isn't just so we can be like, whoa, look what Jesus can do. No, no, no it's, it's not so we can just sit back. The reason all of this matters so much is, is that he did all of this with disciples. He was always in a cohort. He was never operating alone. By the way, this is what, you know what a cohort is? I don't know if you've been in a learning cohort. It's like a college class or something, but it's for a longer time usually. And, uh, and it's like you get feedback and you have a relationship with people and, and you, you bounce ideas off each other and you help each other on projects. This is what Jesus started. It was a three-year cohort of apprenticeship. And this is why Park Hill communities are set up the way they are. We, we, we create a space. Where does discipleship happen in our church? Discipleship can't functionally happen in this room fully, right? I mean, it's like classic lecture hall. Like, this is kind of like a pulpit. These are kind of like pews. And there's not a whole lot of, like, engagement, right? So this is one sliver, an important sliver, but one piece. But then it gets fleshed out in the nitty-gritty push and pull of every week-in, week-out life in community. And this is why we have Alpha as a place for hospitality and community as a place for discipleship. Uh, it's really hard to disciple people who haven't agreed to the terms, <laughs> right? Who don't know what it is to actually say yes to the authority of Jesus with their whole body. They don't even, they don't even know if they're Christians. Alpha is a beautiful place that's a wide open door. It's almost like the entryway to a church where they hear clearly what Christianity is, but they're welcome to voice their own thoughts in a very safe, non-judgmental way with a meal and hospitality. That's different than community groups, which is this. We strive for this in our community groups, which is why we want people to come through basics so that they're clear. If they're signing up for something that Jesus disagrees with, or let me, that was wrong, I didn't say it right. If they're signing up for something uh, that they don't agree with, uh, they need to know. Like they need to be very, cl very cl clear, like Jesus has a way, he's the truth and life and he has ethics. And it's not just about kumbaya in a community uh, willy-nilly, uh, understand. That's more alpha, and it's actually beautiful. It's designed for that. Um, so so this, this is right here what we want to model our community groups after, a cohort of apprentices who are committed to being with Jesus, to become like him, and eventually do the Jesus stuff. Does that make sense? I feel like I really just communicated something clarifying for a lot of people, and I, would, I just would love for that to be as clear as possible. That's also, we're going to make that more clear in basics today. If you've never been to a basics course or you want to find out what, it, what, what am I agreeing to by, by doing a community group at Park Hill, what does it even look like? That is what basics is for. There's like 60 or 70 or something people signed up. There'll be time for Q&A on the screen and all that. So this is a huge, huge main point. Okay? As Christians, followers of Jesus, your life is meant to be a life of doing all the things Jesus did by the power of the Spirit in your home, workplace, school, you name it. So just to make this concrete and clear, I'm going to put a list up on the screen of the G some of the Jesus stuff. <laughs> this is not an exhaustive list, but hopefully you get the point. The kingdom work of Jesus in the Gospels. So we have preaching the good news of the kingdom, and then eating and drinking with people far from God. These two right here, that's the, fo the forum we have for that in Park Hill is alpha. It's not the only way to do it. It's not at all the only way to be hospitable. You can literally think of infinite ways to be kind <laughs> and to welcome people into your life. Um, but this is what we would call hospitality. It's like Jesus who ate and drank with sinners, right? Jesus ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners, calling them to repent of sin and yet still getting invited back to their houses. Did you hear that? It's possible to eat and drink with sinners, people far from God, calling them to repent, and for some reason, they still want you back. That was Jesus. 
This was Jesus. So he didn't just eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, period. You hear that? He didn't just anonymously, oh, I'm just a Jew today. I'm just kind of not really the Messiah. I'm just your friend. No, he didn't do that. He ate and drank, calling to repentance, but still was invited back. It's wild. That's beautiful. That is that. And then teaching the way. Here's more of the list. Eating, uh, sorry, healing the sick, teaching the way, casting out demons, Lifting up the poor, orphan, widow, and vulnerable. Stop on that for a second. So, yeah. So lifting up the poor, orphan, widow. I want to, you know, at Park Hill we have a value of, of leading out of vulnerability. And we want, you know, I believe, you know, that's that famous Scazzaro line. As the leaders go, so goes the church. And so just, just by way of transparency, I want to sh- share this, this lifting up the poor, orphan, and widow, vulnerable. This is one area where Sandy and I and our kids are united in, in, in discerning the Spirit's voice for our family. And we believe in this season of life, where our family is uniquely called to step into the, the difficult, beautiful uh, work of adoption. We believe we're called in this moment to go as far as we can in, in pursuing adopting a child. And we don't know exactly how it'll end up. We don't know what it'll, where it'll take us or who God will bring us and, and who God will bring us to. Um, but out of obedience to Jesus, to do what Jesus did, this is where we're at. We, this last week we spent basically almost all day Thursday getting together 40 or 50 pages of our most private information with our marriage license and forwarding it with wet signatures notarized to this agency and they accepted us. So, so this agency is now pro- beginning to process our file. Um, and and this, is, uh, this, this is something that has been blooming like a 10 year long rosebud, just like blooming like a flower in our hearts. And, and right now, there's concrete actions that God has enabled us to take. Again, we don't know what that'll look like, but as kind of pastors of your church, we wanted to loop you in the story in, uh, at, in, in its very intro, intro phase. Um, it, and, and as I'm saying this, I just want to say, not everyone is called to, like, caring for the orphan doesn't mean you're called to adopt. Not everyone's called to adopt, but everyone is called to orphan care. See how that works. Not everyone is called to, uh, to put on an alpha course in your house every week and make sure that there's four unbelievers at your table every Friday night, but everyone is called to bring the good news of the gospel through their life when, when the time is right, like Paul says, preach the word in season. And, and so all of these things you're going to see, we each are led by the Spirit to emphasize one very concretely at different seasons of life. And I hope this vision series lands you in a place where you say, oh wow, I'm, I'm seeing more clearly what Jesus stuff I'm specifically called to sink my teeth deeper in out of obedience to the Father. Um, and so for us, that's actually adoption in this moment and, and among other things. But moving, moving on, uh, there's, so doing, doing justice, which just means treating people fairly. The Old Testament says multiple times God loves justice. That's just another way of saying God likes it when people are treated fair. And then, and then continuing on, peacemaking, enemy love, the hard work of forgiving, praying, fasting, prophesying, and then a really hard one for Americans, releasing wealth instead of building it. Um, Jesus is very clear over and over again about money. And we, as American Christians, are experts at explaining Jesus away. Jesus says that wealth is a problem to be solved, not just this glorious tool to be stewarded. It's a problem to be solved. And and that solution Jesus puts forward is releasing it instead of amassing it for the sake of the kingdom. 
And so I'm sure that that raises lots of questions. But, and, then, and then finally, standing up against religious and political corruption, Jesus stood with John the Baptist, <laughs> who stood against the powers that oppressed those that were the have-nots. And so, if you, so here, there it is. This is my you know, non-exhaustive list or whatever of things from the Gospels that Jesus did. If you are an apprentice of Jesus, your end goal is to be able to take on all of that. You hyperventilating yet? All of this is on the docket for followers of Jesus. But uh, take heart, because if it takes four or five years to apprentice as an electrician, it probably takes 40 or 50 years to apprentice after the Messiah, right? So, um, and, and like I said, there's certain things Jesus calls certain parts of the church to emphasize. It's part of the beautiful diversity of the church, the body of Christ. But this is, this is like end goal until Jesus comes back. Jesus is going to complete all of that, you guys. Jesus is going to physically return and finish this himself with, with all of us participating also in glorified state. But until then, we have an empowered state, empowered by the Spirit and one another's encouragement and prophetic witness. That's why in community, we don't just hold each other accountable in our community groups. Accountability is not just, hey, don't sin, hey, don't do porn, hey, don't be mean to your wife, or whatever. No, accountability is all of, of course, all of that, but it's so much better, too. It's like accountability to take on one of these for 2023. Like, what would it look like to be creatively involved in one or two of these in a fresh way out of obedience? Tell your community, hold each other to it, and celebrate the win at the end of 2023. That is accountability. I'm in. Like, it's not just negative accountability. It's positive as well. Jesus said it this way in his great commission, which is our church mission statement. Uh, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So this is the pattern of Jesus' life and he invites you to take on the pattern, not alone, but with the Spirit and the community of the Spirit so that success is possible in these things. Growth is possible. Increasingly becoming like Jesus and getting better at doing the Jesus stuff is not only possible, but he promises his power so that you can. You can. It's to be our pattern. To be a Christian is to be invited and empowered to do this. So how does this play out? Simple way to think about it, you guys. You do this in your leadership meetings and in your workplace. If you manage teams, this is very helpful. It comes, it's ancient, it's older than us. Jesus did it. Five stages of apprenticeship. Um, we started with four, but then this week, oh, that table just ate the dust. It was amazing. No one did it either. There's no one by that side of the table. So that's terrifying, actually. Um, it just fell by itself alone. I won't make any demon jokes or anything, I promise. <laughs> so, so here it is. We had four, we had four steps, but Dr. Bashir's is like, you gotta add a fifth. So what do you do when you train someone? I'll do it, you watch. This is Jesus preaching. And then I do it, you help. That's Jesus feeding the 5,000 and they help pass out the bread. Remember that, remember that story? And then now you do it and I'll help you. And that's Jesus sending out the 70 with power. And then step four, now you do it and I'll watch. And that's Jesus saying, go make disciples. He's still with us by the Spirit, but he's with us differently because Christ, Jesus, and the Spirit are two different persons, obviously, of the Trinity, one God. Um, but then let's look at the fifth. Here's the fifth one. How many of you are doing this in your life with someone You've trained them up, you're giving them the gospel, you're encouraging them the faith, and now you're saying, now you do it and find someone else to watch you. That's fully empowered delegation. 
How is that playing out in your life right now? Who in your life are you saying, great, you're doing amazing at following Jesus in this area. Now, you do it, and I want you to tell me who you're showing how to do that with. Like, like you actually delegate discipleship, you guys. I'm, I'm saying this because sometimes we leave this up to, like, the pro holding the mic around a round table in a, you know what I mean? Like, you think I'm the disciple maker only or something, or whoever the pastor, like, that is not the biblical vision at all, actually. Um, the the disciple-making is the job of every disciple. There are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, Ephesians 4.11, who equip very specifically, almost like specialized training along the way, but everyone's journey is that of a disciple-making disciple. So who are you making? You're like, hey, good job, now go show them. Tell me how they do it. That's multiplying. How does that look in your life? This is the pattern of Jesus. And now, so elephant in the room in this moment in a talk like this, I'm noticing as a pastor, we're very busy. We, f we say the word busy a lot. Um, we feel overfilled. Whenever we hear a teaching about, you know, do more for God or, you know, grab, you know, climb higher on the ladder of discipleship or whatever, we, we, can, we can hear it that way. And do more Jesus-y stuff. Um, we, tend, we, tend to, we tend to hear that and object. And, and some of these objections are valid. And so I'm going to give a disclaimer, and then we can respond to an objection. Here's the first disclaimer. Uh, first disclaimer. There are some things, really important things, Jesus did that we can never do, praise God. <laughs> like, number one, be God. Right. So Jesus is God forever, sharing in the triune life of the Trinity or whatever. Like, we never will be a person of the Trinity. And, and secondly, Jesus, what Jesus can do, Jesus did that we can never do, you're never going to die on a cross to, to atone for someone's sin. Uh, that's the unique work of the Messiah. So, so now that we're clear on that, you and I are absolutely called to do basically all the other stuff. Plenty of other things Jesus did by the Spirit. So, which brings me to an objection. Here's, here's a common objection. But Jesus was God. Jesus was God. And, you know, it's like you just established that he's God, and we can't be God. And, and so I'm going to use that against doing the Jesus stuff, you know. But, but Jesus was God, so we can't do what he did. Um, right? Jesus was God, right? Well, well yes, of course, 100,000% God. But the assumption Behind that is, hey, the reason Jesus could do all the Jesus stuff was because he wasn't really a human like me. Not really. I mean, he's God. How can he be truly human like me? That's so deep in us, in our subconscious. Uh, he's God. I'm not. So, so I, how can I possibly heal the sick? How can I possibly believe I have the gift of faith to raise the dead at any point. Like, how can I, how can I live into that faith life? Or, or, or think of something else we don't often think of. Jesus was celibate and single, and he was fully flourishing as an unmarried person. How, but how can I live a sexually fulfilled life as a celibate single person? You, Jesus was God, right? He did all of that because, yes, he was God. But the assumption is he only did it because he was God and not a human like us, to which I'm like, that's so wrong. The reality is Jesus experienced every human limitation and temptation that you and I do every single day of his life, and he overcame it all by the power of the Spirit. It's true. Jesus never stopped being God. True, 100%. So here's an analogy that I, I find really helpful for this. Um, analogies are always really hard and dicey <laughs> when you're using an analogy to define the existence of God or whatever. Or, so, so please give me grace with this one, but I found this helpful. Think of a hotel key card. So when you check into a hotel, they give you your key card. How many doors does that car unlock, card unlock? Like your room 201. 
That, that card, does it open 202? Hopefully not, right? It's 201. If it did open 202, it would be a disaster. Um, so so that, your key card opens one door. Now, there's one very unique key card that belongs to one general manager of the hotel. How many doors does the general manager card open? All, like omni, right? It's an omni card. Okay, you get it? See where I'm going with this. So, so now, as the second person of the Trinity from all eternity, Jesus alone holds the unique omni card. Let's call it the God card. It, 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 this card, Jesus never loses his identity as God whatsoever or his essence, but this card, it unlocks all the infinite stuff that only God can unlock. Omnis, omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience. And so, so here's what happened. When the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the eternal Son, was born Jesus of Nazareth 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the God-man, suspended willfully the use of his God card, and he puts it in his pocket, and he keeps it. He doesn't relinquish it. He keeps it because he is fully God, never stops, but he does not use it. He does not use any of his omnis. Understand, Jesus learned. He grew in learning as a boy. How do you, that immediately we know he's not omniscient if he's learning. So, so Jesus goes through these things because he's fully human, fully empowered by the Spirit in perfect obedience to the Father. Again, please hear me. As fully God, he could have picked that card up at any point. I could call legions of angels from the cross, he said, right? But he didn't. Everything Jesus did, the miracles, teachings, healings, and everything else he did as a perfectly spirit-filled human being as an example for his apprentices to follow. And guess what his apprentices did? They followed. The disciples did what they did by the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The early church did what they did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, San Diego, 2022, you and I do exactly everything in the way of Jesus by the same power, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it this way, but if it's by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come on you. If the Spirit enables me to do the kingdom stuff, then the Spirit enables you. The kingdom is on you as well. This is how we do what Jesus did, you guys, okay? This is it. It is a promise, and it's provided. The power to live as Jesus did, as his body in the world. It's a metaphor, but it's also a reality. We are his body. Now, I think it's important as we wrap up, we're gonna to come to the table in about 10 minutes. Um, I see what time it is. A little less than 10 minutes, actually. And, and we're gonna wrap this vision series up with two questions. And we come to these questions pretty much every year because they go right to the core of why in the world or here and not having brunch with mimosas with your friends. You know what I mean? Why are you in a church right now? Why are, you, why are you looking into community groups? Why are you saying yes to the ethics of the God-man who has authority over your body, mind, and soul? Why? These questions get right to the heart, I think. So two, two things. Number one, what's your stage? What's your stage of discipleship to Jesus right now? Think of those three things. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do it Jesus. Think of them as stages, but not like grades, like first, second, third grade, because you don't graduate from being with Jesus like ever. And you never graduate from needing to become like him until he comes back for us and finishes the job. We are part of his project as well, which is amazing that he uses us in his project. It's amazing. So, 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 which stage is your stage? Here's what I mean. Where is God calling you to do some work with him, to, 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 to surrender your lack to his fullness? Maybe being with Jesus is where God is calling you to refocus. Like, like you're like, I know I'm a beloved daughter. I know I'm a beloved son of God. And, and I know I have a family, but gosh, I feel lonely or I feel unworthy of that title. 
How, how is Jesus calling you to remember and rest? Maybe take on a rhythm of prayer or confess to your community these feelings of lack or shame or guilt. Or maybe it's becoming like Jesus. You never graduate again from becoming. It's the invitation of a lifetime to bear the fruit, love, joy, peace. My gosh, the people closest to me right now, they do not think I'm the most loving person in their life. Maybe that's something you can say about yourself. The people closest to me would not say, love is patient, love is kind, is that person. And, and, and what are the practices that God is inviting you to take on to address that very practically? And so I just want to speak personally again, because, um, yeah, I, we, we just, we just want to build a culture of transparency. We want your communities to be open and vulnerable places of safe sharing and, and trust. And it starts, it starts, you know, with leadership. So for me, you guys, speaking personally, I'm kind of going through this childish <laughs> phase. It's the best word I could come up with. It's not quite immature. Maybe it is immature, but it's like simple maybe. I'm going through this simple phase with Jesus. Uh, and I kind of love it. And I've been, and I kind of, it also trips me out because I've been a Christian all my life, all my life. I remember being four years old on my dad's lap in the living room in Costa Mesa, California in a little condo. Uh, no, it was before that. It was, it was in Santa Ana. And I was sitting on his lap and, and I was like, Dad, I think I need to ask Jesus into my heart. That's the language I had. And he's like, oh my gosh, son, that's amazing. Why? Tell me more. And I just, I don't remember the words I said, but then he led me in praying. And I prayed to receive Jesus as my Lord. And I didn't know what that would entail. I was four. And, 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 and I don't think I was into anything really bad before then. Like three. My parents said I was a hard three-year-old. But like, I'm saying I've never, I've always been in this Jesus thing. Um, and so... This past year, like 2022, I don't know what it is. The, the way the global conversation around fear and anxiety and, and the kingdom of God being this, this non-anxious presence in the world that Jesus leads us, I don't know what it is. It's like I'm rediscovering this thing called Christianity. I guess it's a really, really big deal, you guys. Like Christianity I, this, I know this might sound weird to some, like a Christian pastor is just now learning what Christianity is, and it's like, yeah, kind of, like, in a way, I think it's, like, beautiful. Like, like a, a, an elder, I think I heard someone say elder millennial, I forget who made that phrase up, I think it's funny, but I'm definitely, like, on the Gen X millennial line, and, and my generation loves to, like, pick apart authority and, like, institutional constructs and emphasize the abuse within institutional authority, which is absolutely important to name and to confess and to blow the lid off crap that oppresses people 100,000%. But like, at some point, I have to build something. Like, staying cynical is exhausting. And, and it's easy, it's easy I think deconstruction is, is like a chemotherapy. I think it can get rid of a cancer that needs to be gotten rid of. Being, being cynical, you can apply treatment to a cancer that we picked up from our culture or from even toxic church, and we can like, I'm sorry for, I did not plan this metaphor. Chemotherapy is not a joke. But it's almost like spot treatment on, on this cancer, spiritual cancer sometimes, and you, can, and, and you can apply it, but at some point, especially for people my age and a little bit younger, we can kind of get, get uh, addicted almost to the effect of the chemo to where it turns less, it's less like a treatment, it's more like a parasite. Now the problem with a parasite is it only likes living hosts. And so as soon as you've completely killed your Christian faith, you're fatigued, your, your deconstruction process is boring. And so you gotta find something else. And, and, and that's, you guys, that's all exhausting for me. Like, I 100% under, understand, again, the need to point out sin in the evangelical church so that we can call the church into whatever it's supposed to be in the future, 
Well, what about me and being with Jesus and that Jesus died for my sins? You guys, Jesus died for my sins. You know how I know I'm childish again? Is that phrase, Jesus died for my sins, it feels like cold water. It's not, it's, I do not take it for granted. I want to take advantage of this statement again that I used to say when I was 10. And unpack, what does it mean that Jesus died for my sins? And if you're dealing with shame or guilt around, I can't believe that I am loved by God or that I belong in the church. Listen, the cross is enough. The cross is enough for you. Don't look at the Messiah bleeding and sweating great drops of blood and gushing water out of his side who's actively obeying the Father knowing that he will build a church. He will, he's knowing he will build a church as he's hanging on the cross. I don't know what else is going through Jesus' mind other than my God, what is going on. For God, Father, don't, you've forsaken me. Don't forsake me. But he's knowing he'll build a church, and he's knowing that this church will be so many, and, and, and you are part of this. Don't for a second look at the Messiah and say, the cross isn't enough. And this is like fresh to me, again. Um, I feel like I'm being invited all over again to just be with Jesus. Just be with him. Like I kind of, I know baptism Sunday is in two weeks. I kind of want to like be baptized again. But I know that's not how baptism works um, because it's once for all. So I'm really excited, really. What I'm excited to do is eat and drink. That is the repeat renewal of vows of Jesus. Baptism once for all, communion as often as you do. I am so excited to eat and drink today. So, so I say all this, why? Because I'm, <clears throat> I'm trying to <laughs> speak from a personal place about a collective call. And the call is it's a, we, not, we need to all stop and identify what stage am I at in, in following Jesus? What stage am I at? Which of these three goals is Jesus calling you to be with him again? Or, or is there some serious character issues that you just don't want to face up to and the Spirit's like, don't worry, I got you. Let's do this together. Become like Jesus. Or can you put that last slide up, the very last one? Um, I know I skipped question two, but so be it, I guess. Actually, that was the second question, which of these three goals? And so, so here's, um, here's the stuff Jesus did. Which of these? So we talked about be, become, do. Which of these is God calling you to emphasize? To throw your weight into? To throw your resources at? Like measurably? And to tell your community so they can cheer you on? And just by way of reminder, uh, we, have a, we have this chart called a rule of life. You can download it with a QR code. Um, you have that QR code. If you take a picture of that, there's this chart, be, become, do, and then some practices listed. And you can actually chart out, monthly I'm gonna be with Jesus on a little retreat. I'm gonna go to the beach, or I'm gonna go hiking for like six hours, and I'm gonna pray, monthly. Daily I'm gonna pray 10, 20, 30 minutes. Weekly, I'm going to fast. Maybe I'm going to skip one dinner every Wednesday just to pray or whatever it is. And, and, and generosity and justice, what are the concrete, tangible acts that Jesus is calling you into in this moment? I'd encourage you to print that thing out or put it in a PDF and fill it out and bring it to your next couple community meetings and just talk. Here's what the Spirit is shining His light on in my life. So finally, <clears throat> let's stand. And I just want to, as you stand, I just want to remind you, you guys, you can do this. <laughs> the Spirit is available. God's promises are true. He's present to you. He's present to you. His power is available. You can follow Jesus and experience abundant, flourishing, thriving life in Jesus now.
If you've never followed Jesus in your life, you're like, I've, I didn't even know what Christianity is before today. Please talk to, we'd love to talk to you. Maybe you want to go through Alpha and we'll talk to you for 10 weeks in a row and share a meal every week. Whatever that looks like. If you've never confessed uh, uh, that Jesus is king and given him your life, that is a step we'd love to help you make. And that looks like being baptized. But it starts with a conversation. Uh, all, all that to say, wherever you're at with Jesus, you can take whatever the next step is in seeking his will for your life in this moment. The question is, are you coming boldly? You can do this, are you coming boldly? So let's invite the Spirit to come as we come to the table. Right now, the tables are open. We're just gonna start singing and open the table. Come boldly to the table knowing that Jesus is here. And as you come to the table, go ahead and grab a cup and a piece of bread and bring it back to your seat. And then hold on to it and just sing. Sing about the beauty of the kingdom and the power of God that's available to all who believe. Sing about the spirit who's present. And maybe you're here and you do feel like, I, I don't feel loved, I don't feel belonging. Let the, let the blood and the body of Christ wash over you as you come to the table and just hear the words, the cross is enough. This is the body and blood for you, for you. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Bring us to your table now, we pray. Show us Jesus. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So feel free to come.